Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. continue to pray the news about the unfolding events in Miami as the search and rescue efforts continue following the collapse, uh, the partial collapse of a 12-story condo building in Surfside. Um, The number of fatalities is certainly expected to rise, and so uh, we need to just be praying for first responders. Um, There are dogs on the scene, um, but according to the mayor live on TV right now, the dogs aren't getting any hits, which is not a good sign. And so let's be praying for that situation and all involved there. Um, A little bit on the lighter side of the news, uh, who do you think would steal the show if the Pope met with Spider-Man? Who would who would get the most attention? Well, um, that's what happened yesterday at the Vatican. Pope Francis was doing, um, you know, what he normally does in terms of offering a public audience. He does it weekly on Wednesdays. And he's usually, right, the star of those Vatican gatherings, the star of the show. But yesterday, Matteo Valadite, who is 28 years old and wears a... Um, Spider-Man superhero costume to visit hospitalized children at the Vatican's pediatric hospital showed up um, wearing his costume and had the opportunity to have an audience with the Pope. Uh, he told the uh, the AP he gave Pope Francis one of his spare masks as a sign um, that, you know, through his eyes, he sees the daily pain and suffering of sick children in hospitals and just thanked the Pope for um, for his efforts as well. So there you go. Uh, he says it was exciting. The Pope immediately understood my mission. And so, you know, there are real superheroes out there. Sometimes they wear costumes and sometimes capes and sometimes they do not. I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, who we are and how we're serving and you know, what children need and what they respond to. And anyway, I just thought it was a really fun, good news story. and thought I'd share it with you this morning. And one of our dear friends and the one who covered the show for two weeks, Peter Kapsner, he's up next. We're going to talk about tithing. What? People actually still do that? Yes. In fact, they do. It's a thing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. In the web, any size, can't you see? Just like tithes, look out. Here comes the Spider-Man. Can 
Joining me now, Dr. Peter Kapsner. You have known him for the last two weeks as the host of Mornings Without Carmen. And now he returns as a guest to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, welcome back. Thank you, friend. Hey, thanks, Carmen. You know, Kali, you run such a good show. And the listeners, it was just so entirely delightful to be there for two weeks. And, and to just the guests, the conversations, all of that. Just truly thanks for all that you do. It's, it's an incredible way to start uh, the morning with everybody. Well, thank you. We um, we love you. We appreciate uh, what you did the last couple of weeks. And thank you for getting up again today and doing it again. I just yeah, I love that. All right. So you and I have read, uh, to, we have each read this piece um, on Australians uh, and their practice of tithing. I sent it to you because I thought it was curious just how stumped this Australian journalist was by the whole idea that people would be giving anything to Christian institutions, let alone giving 10% of their income, <laughs> and that, like, this is a thing. So, yeah. um, you know, talk with, talk with us about your impressions of this piece, and then let's wade around a little bit in some of the content. Yeah, I would love that. I think you highlighted it well, just that they were a little bit stumped by the whole thing, because I think they even used the word archaic or, or ancient. You know, some mm-hmm. of these words as if uh, it's so just past time that we should even be thinking about tithing or giving some of our money, uh, some of our resources to financial or to, to religious institutions like that. But boy, you know, I, I started in light of the article, I was looking back again and reminding myself about the beauty of supporting one another in in this uh, journey of following Jesus. And it really does have its rootedness in the Old Testament, right? Where the, the tribes of Israel got broken up into 12 different tribes. Uh, and one of the tribes, the Levites, were in charge of the, the temple and of the religious care and shepherding of the people. And because they were doing that full time, they didn't have the opportunity maybe to work the land and, and to provide for themselves. And so it was incumbent upon the rest of the tribes to go ahead and uh, tithe or give of the maybe 10% of their first fruits. They would bring it to the temple, to Jerusalem. And, and it was just so fun to read about uh, the, the tithe at that time, Carmen, because they all supported one another in these ways. And I think maybe one of my favorite parts about it is that every third year on these tithes, as the different tribes came together and, and gave to support the Levites uh, in this, is that they just they, they threw a big party. And they just said, you know what, these resources are not our own. We are not individual owners of stuff. We, we are stewards of God's uh, resources in this world. We're never actually owners. And they threw a big party, and they made sure that all the widows and the orphans and everybody had everything that they needed. And, and it's really because they weren't viewing it from the mindset of, hmm, all of this is mine. How much do I want to give away with it? And and so one last piece of that, that I was listening to Craig Keener, who's a, a really well-respected Old Testament and New Testament scholar, talking about the tithe. And and we tend to think of, we're just going to give our 10% and move on and keep the rest for ourselves. And he said, you know, Jesus is not satisfied with, with a, a petty sacrifice, he called it, of 10%, as if you can sort of buy him off. <laughs> he, he he has the whole thing. And and that's a good thing because because he's so good. And and as believers, I think we have an opportunity to recapture something so different with all of the self-absorption and all of the self-centeredness going on in the world if we can begin to share our resources. And in the Acts 2 community, Carmen, that was what won the favor of the people, was how they lived their life together and sharing these resources. So, you know, if we can move beyond the tithe being some archaic practice, if we can move beyond the tithe being some sort of obligation that we have to do and, and learn how to once again uh, share our resources with open hands with one another because we're we're stewards after all. We're not owners anyway. The other thing that struck me in this article, Peter, was the reduction of the tithe to basically institutional preservation. 
Like we're giving yeah. the tithe so that the church can pay its bills. And that's uh, not at all the spirit of what you've just described from um, from the scriptures. And it's not at all the spirit of generosity with which we should be giving to alleviate the concerns of the least of those around us. And so I think that when we when we talk about the tithe as Christians, we have to be thinking about how we're not only thinking about it, but how we're talking about it publicly with others. I felt like um, the the person who they interviewed for this article, um, this you know delightful young Christian woman named Catherine, um, I felt like she did a pretty good job trying to articulate you know, why she gave her money to the church, right? And that she did so as a joyful sacrifice. She did it, um, you know, it wasn't something she was being compelled to do. Uh, and, you know, she she talked about the spiritual benefit of it. But when it came right down to what she thought the money was going to, yeah, I mean, she does talk about office supplies. And, and that's, um, I mean, that's true. That's part of what is happening when Christians gather together and and support the church. But when we think about the tithe, we're talking about not just supplying resources for an institution. Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, the way that when we gather our resources together, we can make a real impact um, in our communities and in the lives of those who are not able to do for themselves, um, you know, at this point, for whatever reason, widows and orphans is what comes to mind here. And so that was a little, you know, that was a little troubling to me as well. Yeah, I just amen to that. I, I think what what I appreciate about the article is it did highlight for a section of the article the flip side that I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced, and that is the idea of religious corruption, where where money has been given to religious organizations and churches, and it and it hasn't been used wisely. In fact, it was used uh, for selfish and even evil purposes at times, and. And I, you go even back to, to the era of Martin Luther and the time in which um, some of the institutional church in the era of Martin Luther was commanding or demanding a tithe. And if you gave the tithe, then you can go ahead and make sure that your relatives are getting out of purgatory early. And, and of course, Martin Luther called that whole practice out because they were using that money falsely or they were using that under the false pretenses that you could somehow give your way out of relatives in purgatory when they were simply keeping the money for themselves and building these big churches. And we see that pattern throughout the life of the church. But I think on the flip side, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking about how do we share our resources and give to one another. That Corruption doesn't change the invitation. It it does make us hopefully wise within the institution and, uh, and the invitation. But I wonder, Carmen, you know, churches— we're also busy, right? And so we go to church for our one or two or three hours a week. And, and I just wonder if there isn't an invitation in the future um, to say, how do we want to share our resources together as the church? It's, it's really tough to do that when you have a hired staff who are the ones allocating the money and the parishioners are the ones giving in trust, but maybe they're only there together an hour or two a week. I don't know how we can move to more of a life together where we can say, all right, we've got X amount of money as a church together. Clearly the staff needs to be paid because they are the ones shepherding the community like the Levites do. But how else do we want to give our resources together? How else do we want to share this with the people around us and in all of the resources that, that we have? I think there's a great invitation in there for the church to recapture that light shining in the way they use their finances together. All right, one more point on this, and then we're going to take a very brief break. Uh, in in Australia, something like fifty two percent of the population, according to the twenty sixteen census, there, fifty two percent of Australians classify themselves as Christian, 
And mm. so if that's true, how could so few people even know what a tithe is and how could this journalist think it's so like strange? So I just thought that was interesting as well. Really All right, we got to take a very brief break. We're coming back with Dr. Peter Kapsner in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, Peter, the name of the institution where you teach and for which I work is called what? Well, we're University of Northwestern St. Paul, and of course, you know, Faith Radio and KTS are, are the big media wing as part of the institution. Okay, so if someone had the university president on and then wanted to tell people <laughs> where to find him, <laughs> they would yes. accurately say unwsp.edu. Correct. But if, but if they, for whatever reason, got a little tongue-tied and it was really early in the morning, they might have given the wrong, the, like, the right letters in the wrong order. Did, did I miss something here, Carmen? I would like to hear more, so, actually. Dr. Alan Curitan was a guest in the first hour, and I sure. told people they could find him at a, at a web address that is not the web address for the university. <laughs> I know. So I'm I now don't know I'm what else is un- going to happen to me today, but that might be my favorite part of the day at the end of the day. I, so now I'm trying to fix it by saying unwsp.edu and say it clearly Indeed. and slowly and accurately. University of Northwestern St. Paul, unwsp.edu. Yeah, there you go. I mean, in, fair- <clears throat> in fairness to you, that is a mouthful. That is a lot of letters in a row that don't necessarily all go together. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like if your university president is on and you work for that institution, yeah. you, in that in that circumstance, you should work really hard to get it right. That's, yeah, that's that's probably fair, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> like on the one occasion you want to say something accurate, that would be the time. Okay. Yeah, that so, would definitely be that. I know. All right. So I'm glad I made that mistake and you didn't. So Marvel, Marvel Comics, has a character named Loki. There might be people who don't know anything about this, but um, Loki is winning the hearts of heathens. And apparently, like, actual, not just heathenism, but heathenism is, like, back. It is. It is. Yeah, when you referenced, I just have to say, when you referenced at the top of this hour, Spider-Man, I mean, you had me right there, Carmen, because Spider-Man's part of the Marvel Universe as well. Always been my favorite. I tried to build web shooters when I was about eight years old, failed miserably, clearly do not have the scientific acumen that Peter Parker does. But uh, I've loved the Marvel Universe, and and one of the characters is uh, Loki, who is one of the Norse gods. He is the sort of half-brother of Thor, and I'm sure probably... More listeners would be familiar with the name Thor as one of these Norse gods. Yeah, because the, the he has Loki, that big he has that big hammer. Big, he does, yeah, the big hammer yeah. deal, and the god mm-hmm. of thunder, and that whole thing that that goes with that. And and Loki is his half brother, who is sort of this frost giant that gets adopted into uh, the Asgardian kingdom with with Thor, and they they have this um, sort of interesting uh, sibling rivalry where they. Thor is more loyal to Loki than Loki is to Thor, but he's this interesting character that's part of the Marvel Universe, and there's been the the new show that's come out now on Disney Plus had this sort of little really quick cutaway to suggest that Loki is gender fluid, and that's a different conversation for a different time as Disney is trying to sort of play around in that world and not alienate their historic audience and and all of that. But I think what was intriguing about this is um, there is this... There, there's a lot of people globally that are going to be um, worshiping other kinds of gods. And, and Loki 
may or may not be an actual god that exists. But the point is, is that people are excited in his representation because it, there is the opportunity then to have this conversation of, well, we are heathens. We like to worship the Norse gods. And I thought I thought about that a lot, actually, Carmen, when you sent the article. And I think there's a difference between being afraid of the idea that there are other gods and being afraid that people then might be tempted to worship those other gods. And, and from a biblical standpoint, it's pretty clear from Deuteronomy 32. It's pretty clear from Psalm 82 and in other parts of the text. And even even the name God Most High, Yahweh, the the God that we serve, to have a Most High God uh, indicates and implies that there are other gods. And Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82 both indicate that as well. If listeners want to start researching sort of this idea of the divine council and the gods of this earth, I really do find Michael Heiser to be, and, and he was on the show during those two weeks that I was on, he is so helpful on so many of those things. And I say that and say, I don't know that we need to be afraid by the idea that there are other gods. In fact, it might actually be helpful in our faith because it somehow makes Yahweh, God Most High, not just a theological idea that we're serving, but maybe an actual being, the, the, the supreme being of the universe who really is real. And, and it also then, I think, wakes us up to a, to a significant cataclysmic clash that's going on in the universe all around us all the time of darkness and light. And I, I think we sorely underestimate the darkness. And I think we also then um, even more sorely underestimate the light in terms of its power to shine in the darkness. So if this whole thing about Loki... Um, opening up the idea that there's worship of other gods, if that simply just kind of wakes us up to the fact that there's a lot going on in the divine realm, and God most high, uh, with the exalted son under whom all things are under his feet, this just being Jesus, um, we serve the king of the universe. And he's an actual Amen. king, not a theological king, an actual king. And, and there is a striving and a struggle. And I just think that it would maybe open up different parts of our hearts and our spirits, Carmen, if we let that in as we learn the biblical scriptures, as we keep doing theology, as we treat one another well and care for the widows and like all of what we need to do, let's open up the side of it because the Bible does. And and I'm not saying then worship Loki, of course. I'm just saying let's open up this this conversation a bit. Yeah, and in terms of that, uh, that conversation, um, I just want folks to also recognize that in India right now, there is a new goddess added to the pantheon being worshipped um, as a god, and that is uh, the a goddess idol called Corona Diva. So, mm. uh, and the plan is that once the coronavirus is overcome, they're going to thank her by um, putting her in the ocean. And so that this mediating of things and, and how the people approach things, there's a deep desire to connect with the supernatural. And idolatry is still a huge part of that, yeah. as is, you know, straight up ancient heathenism. All right. We got to leave it right there, Peter. As always, thank you so very much. It's always a delight to talk with you. And thank you again for covering things last week. You can find Peter at unwsp.edu. <laughs> you got it all in the right sequence. That was amazing, Carmen. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, talk to you soon. All right. We'll be right back. So in your Christian walk, do you ever ask, you know, like, how did I get here? Um, Are you feeling a little bit disconnected, like you're going through the motions and you want to know, like, you know, how do I find my way back to God when everything is pulling me away? That is exactly the book Christine Kane has written, How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God. 
when everything is pulling you away. And she joins me next. Christine Kane here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lakato. The question is not, did you get hurt? The question is, are you going to let the hurt harden you? Wouldn't you prefer to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another? Try these steps. Decide what you need to forgive. Be specific. Narrow it down to the identifiable offense. Ask yourself why it hurts. Why does this offense sting? What about it leaves you wounded? Take it to Jesus. Talk to Jesus about the offense until the anger subsides. And when it returns, talk to Jesus again. Tell your offender. If it feels safe, simply explain the offense and the way it makes you feel. And pray for your offender. You cannot force reconciliation, but you can offer intercession. Conduct a funeral. Bury the offense in the cemetery known as moving on with life. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens. Well, I have long awaited this conversation. She is one of my favorites. I feel like she probably needs very little introduction, but I'll give a little introduction to Christine Kane. I want you to find her at christinecain.com. Um, she's one of my favorite speakers uh, out there on the Christian stage today, and we're going to talk a little bit about her brand new book, How Did I Get Here? Christine, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. You're already my new best friend. Well, it is, um, you're my sister in Christ, and you bring such energy and integrity and passion to your communication of the gospel. Um, and so I just, I want to publicly thank you for the way you present the heart of the gospel every time um, I hear you or have opportunity uh, to see you. So thank you. Thank you. It's my privilege. I, I, I love the good news. Amen. Amen. All right, let's talk about the book, How Did I Get Here?, um, I love the image of the anchor. I love uh, what you're doing in this book. Why don't you just set up for people what the conversation is about? The conversation is, is essentially about, here it is in a nutshell, the fact that in any sphere of life, uh, all we ever have to do to drift is literally like nothing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember, Carmen, when I was young in Australia, um, my dad and mum used to take us to this beach called Umina Beach on the east coast of New South Wales, where I grew up. And there was always a very, very strong undertow uh, where we would go swimming. And my dad, you know, we're Greek. And if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, that is my big fat Greek life. So my dad and mum would have these big, bright Greek beach umbrellas and towels, and they'd put them apart on the sand. And then um, they would say to us, the three kids, when we'd go into the water, Kids, make sure that you regularly check the markers. This umbrella and these beach towels are your markers. Check them really regularly because if you don't, you will drift out to sea. The undertow will take you out. You don't have to be intentionally thinking you're going to do it. Uh, you, all you have to do to drift out to sea is nothing. And that has always stuck with me in life. And then, you know, a, a few years ago, I hit kind of like the perfect storm in my life. There were, um, you know, my mother passed away. We had three other people in our immediate family that passed away. And that sort of just really, for me, uh, rocked me. And then there was 
just so many things happening in the world. And then, of course, we've come through a pandemic. Just there was this perfect storm of both personal and professional things happening. And I, I got to this point um, where one day I was I was with my husband and I just said, you know, I, I sort of wanted to take my foot off the gas a little bit and think, you know, this is just really hard to keep going full on and continuing to, you know, kind of stay out front and pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. There's just this cost is so great. And I, I just in that moment, um, I remember turning to him saying, how did I get here? <laughs> how did I get to this place where I'm, I'm like for a moment thinking this is all just too hard or too much? And around me at the time, you know, so many people were kind of walking out of church or walking away from faith or deconstructing their faith. And it really led me on a journey of going, wow, it is easy to drift, whether you're on the front line or, you know, whether you've been hit by certain things that if all of us at, at, you know, no matter who we are as Jesus followers, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, we must regularly check our markers or as the writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter two, you know, we better pay extra attention lest we also drift from so great a salvation. So it was a very sobering moment in my life. And you talk about, um, how Nick suggested your your precious husband, um, who you refer to as your darling, and I would just love to talk about that at some point as well. We could have a whole conversation about our darling husbands. Um, <laughs> I have one. I have one too. His name is Jim, and he is like your Nick, my anchor, uh, the anchor of my soul. I just, yeah, I just appreciate both of you. Nick suggested you guys watch um, some TV, which is an interesting, like, right? Let's just take yeah. a break from all this exhaustion and let's just watch some TV. And what you guys ended up watching is really what you frame in the introduction, but it also takes us all the way to the conclusion of the book. So will you talk about um, ringing the bell, not ringing the bell, and then ringing the bell? Absolutely. Well, you know, my husband, I mean, who does this? As as a sort of detox, he was watching um, a documentary on the Navy SEALs, and it was during Hell Week. Now, you know, I'd always known about the Navy SEALs, but I didn't quite ever know what Hell Week was. And so I went on by watching this documentary with him to find out that this was kind of the week where you go in and they try to break you down, you know, uh, psychologically, emotionally, physically. And you are required to do incredible things. You go without sleep and, you know, and, and, and people are consistently bombarding you to try to break you. And if you don't make it that week, um, you're not going to get in and become a SEAL. And the whole goal is to make you go into the quadrangle uh, to ring the bell. Ringing the bell just denotes, you know what, I'm tapping out. I'm going to go have a shower. I'm going to go back to my... Uh, you know, back to where I was, still in the military, but I'm just not going to be a SEAL. And there was this one scene, Carmen, where they dropped the guys out of a helicopter into the water and they had to swim miles uh, in the middle of the night, had to swim miles back to shore and do all of these things without sleep. And I, I started crying, which is, you know, not very, it's not something I do often in watching people being dropped out of a helicopter. My husband you know, said to me, Chris, what's wrong? And and that was the whole moment that I said, I think this is how I feel. I feel like, um, you know, I'm here in the middle of the ocean. It's freezing cold. Um, I can do this. I know I can do this. I, I know that uh, I've been here before. I know that I have the strength and the capacity and the tenacity. I've got all of the muscle memory to be able to do this. But for the first time in my life, I don't know if I want to. And, and Carmen, that was the sobering moment when I say, 
uh, I'd never been there. 30 odd years of following Jesus. I'm always frontline. You know, I'd always say, we're the Navy SEALs. We're rescuing slaves. We're abolishing slavery. You know, I'm helping to empower people. And it, it's kind of like who I am. And I'd had plenty of times in over three decades of following Jesus where I had thought, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm I'm smart enough or, or connected enough or resourced enough. There were many times that I, I could see my limitations, but never times where I wondered, I, I don't really know if I want to keep going like this. And and that was, you know, how did I get here? And, and, and really working through emotionally and spiritually, um, do I want to ring the bell? And it wouldn't be like ringing the bell and, and leaving everything. It's just more like taking my foot off the gas. And then it was like, and I remember saying to Nick, nobody would even really know. I've got so much momentum. I've got three decades of following Jesus and no one would. And then I just, in my tears, I just looked at him and I said, but Jesus would know. Jesus mm. would know that I took my foot off the gas and, you know, basically that I didn't, like the Apostle Paul said, you know, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on. And mm -hmm. somewhere here I was, 50 years old, midway through life, bombarded by a whole bunch of stuff and going, did I press on? Am I going to press on? And, you know, by the grace of God, and we work through all of that. And, you know, not only did I decide, oh, yeah, we're going to press on. <laughs> I'm going to press on. And the bell, I'm not ringing the bell, not now. Um, and then, you know, that that's the whole thing, that there's so many people, there's so much going on in the world today, and there's so much disappointment and chaos and division and discouragement and disillusionment that people are ringing the bell left, right and centre, whether, you know, in, in many realms of life. And so, um, you know, I kind of come to the end where we're hearing the church bells ring on the island of Santorini and um, where we in what we do as uh, our work with A21, you know, every time we see someone rescued, we in all of our offices around the world, we have 15 offices in, in 15 different countries, um, when someone is rescued, we have a bell that we ring and it denotes a bell of victory. It's like when the church bells are ringing, um, which is a, a victorious sign. The church is gathering. Christ has risen. We can continue to persevere because he is worthy. And so, you know, I, I've got this renewed sense of come on, let's all go and um, let's, let's, let, Jesus alone is worthy of our all until dying breath. That is Christine Kane. Uh, she's making reference there to A21, the mission to end slavery and human trafficking. You can check it out at a21.org. Christine and I will continue our conversation about her new book, How Did I Get Here, in just a moment. Catching up with Christine Kane today, I want you to check out her ministry website, christinekane.com. We're talking specifically today about her new book, How Did I Get Here? Uh, Christine, I live in Middle Tennessee, and Vanderbilt University has anchored down as its, uh, that's sort of its call sign. That's sort of what uh, everyone is called to, to anchor down. And so I happen to know that anchor down means to come to a stop, to stop. Um, and to set anchor and to sit there. Um, and in the book, what you're really, I think, inviting us to consider is how we've drifted. So every chapter, uh, for those of you who haven't read it yet, every chapter starts with, you know you've drifted when. 
And then there are these evidences uh, when you stop trusting uh, and you start controlling, when you stop healing and you start seeping, when you stop wondering and you start wandering, on and on and on. So, Christine, uh, talk with us a little bit about the anchor uh, and talk with us a little bit about resisting the drift. Yes, for sure, Carmen. You know, I'm I'm laughing. I'm smiling. I wish you could see me as we're talking because um, I I have and I I talked about the time when you know we were out on the boat and Nick told me um, to drop anchor and so I sort of just threw the anchor over the side without really much thought to it and then went back to sunbaking because you know this Greek girl loves the sun and so I'm not even thinking but then I just remember about half an hour later we sort of bumped up next to another boat and Nick's like Chris I told you to drop anchor and I'm like I did and he goes did you set it on the seabed and I'm like you never told me that I had to like I thought you know you just sort of throw it out and the thing just catches and you're done and it was I always remember that because there's a lot of us and especially in the chaotic times in which we live where the currents are shifting in every realm of society politically socially you know morally environmentally that the currents are shifting at such a rate around us that if we do not consciously and proactively as Jesus followers um, make a decision to check our anchor regularly and to set it because when the currents shift even if you go I feel like I'm anchored you've got to check it every couple of hours uh, because the fact is the currents are going to make things move and so you know the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul both firm and secure And boy, in the days in which we live, our soul needs to be anchored in something that is firm and secure, in something that is not changing, because everything around us is changing. And so that whole concept um, of setting anchor, I think it's a great visual for all of us, because sometimes we kind of think, well, you know, I go to church or I read my Bible or, you know, I've got a few Christian friends or we just sort of throwing the anchor overboard, but not really checking. Hang on a minute. Am I really anchored in Christ? Is my hope anchored in Christ? Is my future anchored in Christ? Is my peace anchored in Christ? Is my joy anchored in Christ? And the truth is, Carmen, if it's not, we are not going to make it in the way that this world is spiraling out of control. Hmm. I'm talking with Christine Kane. We're talking about her brand new book, How Did I Get Here? And I have some copies to give away. So uh, if you are interested in entering the drawing for the copies we have here in the studio, text the word book to 877-933-2484. You know the drill, just the word book, not all the reasons that you're the person that should get the copies. So um, because that's not how this works. All right. So um, Christine, assure people that the anchor, I mean, who is Jesus Christ? Assure them that the anchor holds. Because I think that's the real fear that most people live with, that it's Jesus isn't going to hold. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think the reason why, and for some people, I can can understand the struggle with believing that, um, you know, in, in terms of perhaps having been disappointed by leaders or perhaps the church or perhaps just, you know, someone in, in, in their spiritual life. And you kind of think, I tried that. And um, I, I had so much discouragement or disappointment or disillusionment or hurt. And if you particularly come from 
a background like mine, Carmen, where, you know, um, I'm the survivor of sexual abuse. I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born. So there was a lot of rejection and abandonment um, and just pain and and shame and guilt and condemnation in my background. It is hard to trust. It is hard to believe that God is good and that God is for you and that Jesus will hold you, uh, you know, through the the hardest storms and the greatest disappointments and the greatest loss and grief in life. But here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm 55 years old this year and been following Jesus for over three decades. And here is what I can say. People have disappointed me. I've disappointed myself. You know, people have failed me. I have failed. Uh, life doesn't always go how you had hoped it would go. There is grief. There is loss. There is pain. There is suffering. But in the midst of it all, Jesus Christ truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I I could go to the bank on this now. I know this to the marrow of my bones. With all of the things that I've gone through in my life, I can sit here, Carmen, and and say to you uh, with, with total conviction, that Jesus holds. Life hasn't always gone how I wish it would have gone. Um, But Jesus, Jesus has always been faithful. And you know, here's the good news. I'm just thinking this as we're chatting. Our anchor doesn't even go down to the seabed. Our anchor is firm behind the veil. Um, You know, our anchor is anchored in heaven. Jesus is already seated at the right hand of the Father. He has already won the victory. He's coming back. There is that sense of no matter how despondent and how much despair we may even feel about the current state of our world. Our anchor is so secure that it goes beyond the veil. And the book of Hebrews says that it's secure behind the veil. So when you have an eternal anchor that is eternally secure, then you know that he will strengthen you to endure the temporal process. And You know, I'm not one that's ever going to deny the reality of the challenge of life, but I am also one that's going to say in Christ, we can know joy in Christ. We can know hope in Christ. We can know peace in Christ. There is a future and your history doesn't have to define your destiny. You're going to get me preaching in a moment because in him, he is so secure. Amen. Christine Kane, uh, if you don't know her yet, you absolutely need to. The brand new book is How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything is Pulling You Away. I want to invite you to visit Christine's website, christinecain.com. Also, uh, the the ministry of A21, a21.org, because Christine is, um, in addition to being just this really gifted speaker and writer and mom and wife. She's also an activist, and she's she's pressing the full force of her life in one direction, and it's the advancement of the gospel, really for the liberation of uh, of others. And so I want to invite you to check out what they're doing at a21.org. And again, I've got copies of the book to give away. So if you are interested uh, in entering that drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Christine Kane, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Carmen, you're awesome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Well, as always, it's a joy to gather with you in the morning. I hope that if you are interested in entering the drawing for the Christine Kane book, that you will text the word book to 877-933-2484. 
Uh, to get information about how to join the live stream this Sunday evening that we're going to do, Conversations with Carmen, text the word EVENT to that same number, or you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. You and I are now going to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, and we want to do so in ways that honor Jesus. So let me encourage you to be in the Word of God today before you get out there into the world. You know, the world's going to squeeze us. There's no doubt about it. So what's going to come out? When the world squeezes us today, what's going to come out? May we be people who are found to be full of grace and full of truth. Everybody's full of something. Let's be the people today who are full of faith and full of grace and full of truth. People whose lives overflow with the spirit of the living God. This is what the world really needs, right? They don't just need our well-reasoned testimony. They need our winsome witness in and through the moments of life, the, the warp and woof of life. They need to find us as people of faith who are faithful, who recognize that Jesus is Lord of all, even this moment, whatever's happening in the midst of it. So have a great day. And God bless. Go be shiny today. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.